Welcome back to the Muzzle Blast Podcast, the official podcast of the National Muzzleloading Rifle Association. I am Jason Gatliff. I'm the owner and publisher of Muzzleloader Magazine and also owner of American Pioneer Video. Very cool. Well, thank you for, so much for coming on, Jason. My pleasure. I know that uh, the listeners don't know this, but we had some technical difficulties and we recorded this about a month ago. And then after recording, I went to start editing and none of your audio had come through. So it was like I was talking to a mime version of you. So oh, we're, yeah. we're happy to have you back and, <laughs> and have yeah, you on the show. Yeah, again. my pleasure. So we wanted to have you on. I mean, when people think of, of muzzleloading, and especially when it comes to magazines, muzzleloader is right up there as one of the first things that people think of. And you are the owner and the editor, and you're the publisher of it. So we wanted to talk to you a little bit about that today and, and what's that, what that's like, what that process looks like, and, and how you came into owning and running muzzleloader. Sure. Well, let's, let's start how I got involved in the hobby. Yeah, yeah. So in 1993 or 94, my dad and my uncle got black powder rifles, and we had a family friend that was involved in rendezvousing and blacksmithing and, and stuff. So spring of 94, my dad and I followed him. His name's Buster Grubbs. We followed him to a rendezvous, and I was 14, no, excuse me, I was 15 years old, met some kids my age there, spent all day throwing knives and tomahawks and just fell in love with it. That fall, I ran into Buster again at a, a arts and crafts show where he was blacksmithing, and he invited me to his house to a rendezvous the next weekend, and I went out and spent the weekend, and I was just hooked. He loaned me a gun, so I shot in the match. Somebody loaned me a shirt to wear over, you know, my my modern clothes, and it was just it was a great time. So the summer of '95, I ended up buying my first muzzleloader, which was a Lyman Great Plains rifle, and September, October of 95, I, I started camping, you know, with my own gear at, at Rendezvous and been doing it ever since. That's awesome. And you were out on your own at like 14 or 15, you said, camping and, and going to these events. Well, really, really 16. It was, I was, uh, I was six, I was 15 when I went to my first event and then um, 16 when I started driving myself to events. Okay. Plus, yeah. Buster's house was only two miles away from where I grew up. So, I mean, it wasn't like it was far. Okay. And, <laughs> and then in the spring of 97 was the first time I went really far away was I went down to the Southeastern rendezvous. It was in Savannah. Okay. So I was driving myself two or three hours around, uh, around where we lived to go okay. to a at 16, 17 years old. And where were you, where are you located now? And where were you located at that time? I'm located in Gallatin, Tennessee right now. And at the time I was located in Macon, Georgia. Okay. Very nice. Yeah. So we're just outside of Nashville. And um, when we lived in Macon, we were close enough to have a Macon address, but it's actually out in the country. I was surrounded by, by farms and, and et cetera. Where, where I grew up is still pretty, pretty country. I think it's still about five miles to the closest gas station. Okay. Awesome. For instance, our, we're so so less populated the school i went to the high school was 1200 students that sounds like it's pretty big right one school for the entire county yeah so you know well, how many students. how many kids were in your class then about 330 okay that's for the entire like 400 square mile county oh wow yeah oh man that must have been a dream just being able to i mean there's probably nobody around 
Pretty much. I mean, it was pretty, pretty desolate. Well, not desolate, but it was pretty, <laughs> it's pretty rural. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of chalk mines. That's the big industry down there. Okay. So do you think that your location and just the ruralness of it kind of played into your interest with this? No, not really. Um, it was, I, I've always enjoyed camping. So, you know, it was camping. I've always enjoyed shooting. I grew up in a family that hunts and shot. And, um, I like throwing knives and tomahawks. I had been doing that even before going to my first rendezvous. So just everything that I kind of liked all rolled into one. The <laughs> love of the history came a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of that was actually sparked by Muzzleloader Magazine. Buster loaned me a bunch of back issues of Muzzleloader around September of 95 and reading Mark Baker's articles and Beth Gilgan's and um, the other writers in there just made me fall in love with it even more. And so how did that lead into then you where, where you're at now? And I mean, I know in talking to you previously that you, ha you had your own magazine before. Right. Started, uh, it was Back Trail, is that correct? On the trail. On the trail, on the yeah. trail. Yeah, on the trail. Well, so I graduated high school in 97, started college in 97. I was double majoring in history and computer science. Oh, wow. Um, in 1999, I started the website historicaltrekking.com. And uh, because there was nobody around the middle Georgia area that was really interested in historical trekking. So it was a way to connect with people that shared a similar interest. Um, summer of 2000, summer of 99 and summer of 2000, I worked for Tennessee State Parks at David Crockett State Park as a historian. Wow. So demonstrating black powder and fire starting and throwing tomahawks and uh, all kind of stuff like that. Um, while I was in college, I was, I did two issues of our blacksmith group newsletter. So I knew how to do the desktop publishing and I had gotten to meet Rick Edwards who founded on the trail and, and actually founded the coalition of historical trekkers. He lived in Alabama, just outside of Birmingham. And we had gone to a couple of events together and we'd gone to the woods together a couple of times. Um, so that fall of 2000, when I was in college, I was working at a company doing website design part-time and I went to the On the Trail website because I hadn't got an issue in a while. And I saw a letter to the readers saying that he wanted to sell the magazine. And because I had learned desktop publishing and because I had done the, the newsletters, I thought, well, you know, I can do that. And this will give me the opportunity to, to go to rendezvous and reenactments and stuff for a living. I can make my living doing what I love. Yeah. So I reached out to him and he gave me the particulars. He felt like I could do it and got turned down by banks and my family members and, and everybody. And as kind of a last ditch thing, I posted a message on historicaltrekking.com saying, I'm interested in buying on the trail, it's for sale and I'm looking for an investor. And there was a guy out West named Kent Klein who saw the message. He saw what I had done with historicaltrekking.com and he believed in me. So he loaned me the money to buy on the trail. So October 19th of 2000 on my 22nd birthday, I became the owner of On the Trail magazine <laughs> and published it until 2013. But it was in 07 that Bill Skurlock came to me and said, we're not quite ready yet, but when we are ready, would you be interested in taking over muzzleloader? And of course, I absolutely said yes. Yeah. And it took from 07 to, to 2013 for it to happen. We worked on it a couple of times between the two. We started around 08. And then when the economy tanked, we had to put everything on hold. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was a hard shutdown for a lot of different things there. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. Mm-hmm. So, but it all, you know, it all worked out. Bill came back to me in 2012 and we worked on the particulars and everything and they financed it. So I was able to buy it March 1st of 2013. Wow. And you've been running it ever since. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a little over seven years. Wow. I didn't know about the, um, the historical trekking side of things there and um, your involvement there early on. That's really neat. Yeah. That's something I've seen start to come up a lot with everybody stuck at home and there's no big events. There are groups of people getting together and going out and doing that. I think I saw on, on Facebook, a couple of people were asking, you know, Hey, I'm interested in historical trekking and the coalition started to come up in a few conversations. Cause I've seen it some in passing, but it's neat to see it kind of get talked about quite a bit more than I think that it has in the past couple of years that I've been involved. Oh yeah. Yeah. I would say the past five or six years, the, the popularity of trekking has kind of waned. I mean, you still had some people going out and doing it, but not as much, you know, not as big a groups or not as many groups as there was around the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I would say around 2000, 2001, we were getting like 200, no, excuse me, 20,000 hits a day on historicaltrekking.com. Wow. So, and then, unfortunately, Facebook came along and pretty much killed all of the forums. Yeah, that's... I have a love-hate relationship with that. <laughs> right? You're well, able to I mean, read... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you know, they, they've got really smart people who are doing everything they can to keep you on their platform. So people are staying on it and not going to the places they used to go. You know, you would have people go to five or six forums 15 years ago, and now they, they do it all on Facebook. Yeah. And yeah. The, in my opinion, the conversational tools aren't, aren't there yet on Facebook. It's something that really kind of frustrates me. I wish there was better comment nesting, like, like you'd see on something like Reddit or some of the older forums. It seems like uh-huh. all of that has already been built, and Facebook is just ignoring it. Right. Well, the thing that I dislike about Facebook and and even Reddit or anything else is that you don't have the, I guess, the archival factor of the discussions like you have on the the forums and message boards. Yeah. You know, and especially Facebook, it's something is discussed and when it's gone, it's gone. Yep. I mean, and you just can't find it. Right. Yeah. That's something I'm really kind of fearful about. There's so many muzzleloading living history groups popping up on Facebook and people are trying to build them as this resource center for new people, but they don't understand the platform enough that you can't post something and it easily be found later. I mean, it's just gone. Yeah. I mean, you can search for it, but you're, you're not guaranteed to get it. They want you to be looking at what's popular that day, even on the groups. It's, I don't know. It's really changing the game. I think on, on quite a bit of this. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, but everything changes. Eventually, something else will come along and replace Facebook. And yeah, you know, we'll be on to the new thing. Who knows? Yeah. Forums might come back around. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, I'd be I'd be a game for that, man. That'd be that'd be wonderful. So, are you pretty active still? I mean, this year's been a little bit of a of a curveball, but do you still get out and get to camping and get out to quite a few events, or or are you kind of steering more towards the you know, working on the magazine? No, I definitely get out a lot. I typically do, I'd say 14 to 15, either indoor shows or outdoor shows a year. That's quite a Normal. bit. This year is, is yeah. very odd. In fact, this is the longest period in my life since 
1996 that I have gone without putting on 18th century clothing. Jeez. I mean, it's we're at last time was in November, so we're at what nine months almost. Yeah. Yeah, we're starting to hit that nine month mark. Yeah, part of that was because I I did miss an indoor show where we would have had to dress, but I was because I was working on a book project, so I had to miss it. But yeah, typically I'll do two indoor shows in January, two in February. Uh, one in March, and then I'll I'll do what is it? Two camping events in April, and one indoor show in April, and then May just go to Martin Station for fun. We don't mm-hmm. sell or anything there, but we go and play. And then of course June would normally be friendship. Yeah. And then uh, nothing really in July, August the CLA show, September back to friendship, and then. Um, Sometimes we do some events in October for fun. It just depends. Yeah. And um, fall we go to Fort Deschart and both set up and sell and shoot the woods walk there, which is always fun. Well, good. That sounds that sounds really nice. I like that you have some events that you go in and, and you do you're doing for fun to get a little break from the from the work. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I still love the hobby. I still love going to events. Yeah. It's, it's nice not to have to set up the store and all that stuff. So as COVID-19, has it hit you pretty hard, or are you guys still bumping right along? Yeah, no, we're still bumping right along. It was, I'm surprised that, that the web orders and all have done as well as they've done. You know, we're, we're hanging in there pretty steady. Good. That's I'm what we're... Missing our friends, missing events. Yeah, that's, that's what we're hearing from a lot of our vendors and then just a lot of people online, um, and even several of our sponsors up into kind of the uh, main industry level of companies is everybody went into this kind of thinking that nobody would be spending money or ordering anything. But uh, several people have told me that they're having the busiest month they've ever had in June now that things are warming up and people are starting to be allowed to go outside. Yeah. So it's good to hear that things are, are pretty stable for you then. Thank you. Yeah. When, uh, when the bookstores open, we actually, our newsstand order for the July, August issue was a lot higher than it had been previous issues so we're pretty happy about that wonderful and when you say newsstand what does that mean we send uh this issue it's around twelve thousand copies to newsstands oh wow so like barnes and noble books a million we're in a bunch of the tractor supply stores and i can't remember where else that's awesome yeah i think we're in every tractor supply store in ohio pennsylvania new york and michigan huh that's great and then to be I think, honest, I didn't even know they had a magazine stand. <laughs> yeah, they sure do. Um, and then I think we're in almost all books, almost all Barnes and Nobles. Not all of them, but almost all of them. Wow. So is that something that came in before you, or is that something that you brought in? No, the Skurlocks were doing newsstand sales. We've grown it. I think Bill's last issue, they were sending around 7,000 copies to newsstands. So I've grown that about 50%. Wow. Uh, but it was something that he certainly had started. Yeah. That's that's fascinating. Because a lot of people think of muzzleloading and living history being a real niche market. Mm-hmm. And I don't think very many people think of that as a, as a newsstand item. So that's, that's really neat. Yeah. We figure the best advertising we can do for the magazine is to put it in front of people. So we look at that as advertising. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so... You're in your office right now, and I see this this table full of DVD racks back there. So right. what what is that, and what is that? <laughs> those are 
That's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And about 15 titles from American Pioneer Video. They're double disc sets. I just haven't put them in the CD cases yet. Okay. The, um, the original titles for American Pioneer Video, the, the Wrights, Jim and Ken Wright, actually made the disc themselves. They did all the packaging and all that. And so I've, I've continued to do that. All the new titles we've released since I took over, we have professionally done. So they're shrink-wrapped and they're in normal DVD cases and, okay. and et cetera. But those are the legacy titles. So they're just there waiting to be ordered. <laughs> so how did you get involved with American Pioneer Video then? But uh, Jim Wright's been a longtime friend. And typically when he was still when he still owned American Pioneer Video, he had a booth at Friendship. Him and I and Mike Miller would leave Friendship every afternoon and go eat somewhere. And one of the times we were going to eat, he just mentioned that he's interested in selling or thinking about selling American Pioneer Video. And having bought my first video from them in the late 90s and, and bought a lot of videos from them over the, over the years, I'd said, you know, that's something I'd probably be interested in. So... He lives in Bowling Greens, a little over an hour from my house to his house. After Friendship, um, and this was the September Friendship a couple of years ago, um, after the event, I went up there and we reviewed everything and reviewed financials and ended up buying the, the company from him. So bought it on, also on my birthday. <laughs> so that was pretty neat. little birthday presents to yourself then. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Jim is still involved. He's still doing all of our filming and editing. And uh, so, we're, you know, I'm really glad of that. In yeah. Fact, he just finished filming our newest video. It's with Mike Miller, and it's building a Jaeger rifle. Oh, that'll be fascinating. Yeah. We're hoping to have them at September Friendship. But okay, it'll cool. definitely be premiering them at the CLA show. So it'll be one or the other. Okay, wonderful. Friendship, but... Definitely will have them at the CLA show. Awesome. So what is that? So Jim is going out and he's spending time with Mike and, and then bringing the footage back and he's editing it and then he's sending it to you and you're sending it out. Yeah. 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 He'll, yeah. What it'll, what it'll do is when we get into the editing process, I'll typically go up to his house and kind of review stuff with him and offer any suggestions if I have any. Yeah, and then uh, he'll send me the masters, and then I'll I'll do all the artwork and everything for the the DVD covers and for the slipcase covers and all that, and I'll send it off and have them produced. That's really neat. Yeah, I think a lot of people are, are definitely interested in in your enterprise here and <laughs> and how it all gets done because you've got your finger on a lot of things here promoting the sport and the hobby. Yeah, I, I do, and I've been really blessed that I'm able to do this. Yeah, I, and I think I mentioned it last time. I mean, the, the hobby is has given me so much. All, all of my closest friends I've met through the hobby. I met my wife at a rendezvous, so she was doing this before we even met. Uh, you know, it's it, it's the hobby's given me pretty much everything. That's wonderful. So. And you're and you're giving so much back to them now too. I try. I try. <laughs> So what is the um, what's the pipeline look like for to go back to Muzzleloader magazine? What's the pipeline for that look like, as you know, as far as development goes? I mean, it's it's the bi-monthly publication. Mm -hmm. So when you're when an issue is coming up, when do you typically start working on that, and then how do you how do you put it all together? Well, okay, so the um, 
September, October is the next issue. I'll really start working on it July 1st. And what I'll do is our staff write, our staff writers will send in their articles. We, we don't assign any articles. So our staff writers write about topics they're interested in that fit, you know, fit our magazine. And they've been with us long enough. They pretty much know uh, what we want. I, I think I've only rejected two articles from staff writers. Oh, wow. You know, because they they pretty much know what we're looking for. Yeah. So um, they'll send that in, and I'll send it out to my editor. He'll do all the editing for grammar and spelling and et cetera. Uh, he'll send them back to me, and then I'll do the layout of the magazine, and, and I'll typically send a PDF of the article to the author so they can review it before it goes to print. Then we've got a group of people that do a final round of proofing and enter those and upload them to the printer. So... You know, we've got the staff writer, the staff articles, and then I'll select the hunting article. And then depending on what time of year it is, depends on how many feature articles I'll have to pick. You know, some will have scheduled in advance, like for September, October, we're going to have an article about the upcoming CLA auction. We've also got an article about the 80th anniversary of Log Cabin Shop. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, those are scheduled. Ted Ballou has a, in fact, let me pull out my notebook here. Yeah. Um, Ted Ballou's got another uh, article about, um, it's a, about a print that was released in the 19th century, but it's also about the uh, 200th anniversary of Boone's passing. So oh, this yeah. year will be the 200th anniversary of Daniel Boone's death. Um, the artist articles are the closest thing we do to, to a, an assigned article and what I'll do is I'll, I pick the artist and kind of when I want to run them because I, I alternate there'll be a gun maker one issue and an accoutrement maker the next and then you know vice versa so I'll send that list of artisans out to a group of writers and they pretty much pick who they want to write about and I give them the deadline so it's not really a true assignment right you know it's just just the deadline is assigned but that's that's pretty much how it goes it's a yes. nice little system you've got built there. Yeah, it's not bad. You know, people are always writing in and saying, I'd like to see more articles about this, or I'd like to see more articles about that. And I typically print those letters because, you know, like I said, people don't really realize we don't assign articles. They expect if they write in and say, hey, I want to see an article about this, I'll say, okay, Bob, you write that article. Right. But that's not the case. Ideally, people will see that letter and they'll say, hey, I, I know a lot about that topic. I'll send in an article about it. We really are a, a publication both of, by, and for people that are into traditional black powder. Mm -hmm. And you're set up, too, so that somebody that sees that and is interested and knows a lot about that can write up an article and just send it to you. Mm -hmm. And yep. you'll, you know, when you have time or when you get a chance to, you'll you'll print that in the magazine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, if I accept it, um, we typically run about a year to two years out because of uh, you know, we're, we just stay pretty full. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. We accept unsolicited articles all the time. The areas we're most in need of are, are Western fur trade, how-to, and hunting articles. Okay. So if you're listening, send in your articles for those topics to Jason and, and keep him busy. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Where can people send those? They can uh, email them to me. My email address is jason at muzzleloader.net. Okay. 
Yeah, or Jason at muzzleloadermagazine.com, but the dot net is a little shorter. Yeah. We'll put that in the show notes too. So anybody listening, you can refer to that on your phones or on the on the YouTube description there to make that easier for everybody. Oh, great. You mentioned so, oh, go ahead. I no, I've got a question for you. Okay. So I just saw the unboxing video of the Mike Miller and the Malkia Pfeiffer rifles. Yeah. Were, were those sent to you or were they, did you have to go to the uh, the headquarters to do all that? Those are shipped to the headquarters. I was down there filming for um, one of our matches since we're starting to be able to have weekend matches. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, those were Mike had sent those into the NMLRA office there. And uh, when I got there, they said, hey, we've got a couple things if you want to get some pictures of them. And I was just giddy as a schoolgirl opening up that box and, and oh, handling yeah. those. It was awesome. Yeah, well, Mike's an incredible builder. In fact, the the middle and the bottom gun were made by Mike. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, you're lucky to have those. He stays real busy. <laughs> he does. Yeah, the, the bottom gun he actually built for me in 2006. It was the first okay. one I got from Mike. And what is it? It's a 50 caliber Virginia rifle. Nice. Cherry stocked with a sliding wood patch box. Oh, man. Yeah. It's hard to beat the... I mean, it's hard to beat that look of the Virginia rifle. I love the wooden patch box on this. Yeah, it's a great shooting gun. It's it's done very well for me. We've also we're excited. We've got um, in the queue. We've also got some um, unboxing videos from some accoutrements. I don't have the list of them right now in their makers, but I know one of them's Jeff Luke, who we've been working with quite a bit on some classes and things. So oh, cool. we're hoping to have some more of those unboxing videos. I know it's not real common for this for this hobby or the sport, but it was it's been fun kind of making those. <laughs> right. Well, hopefully people that search unboxing will find those and maybe we'll get some new people into the sport. Yeah, they'll find those and think, oh, that's a little different. <laughs> yeah, so that's pretty cool. Thank you. You mentioned early on that some of your first experience in publishing was with your local blacksmith blacksmith group. Mm -hmm. You published their newsletter. Are you still involved in blacksmithing, or do you have any chance to make anything, any accoutrements or anything as of late, or is that kind of in the past? Yeah, it was. It's not really in the past. I just don't have the the, the time anymore. You know, when it, I've got free time, I'd rather be out fishing or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when it's as hot as it is right now. Yeah. I, um, I'll blacksmith a little bit every now and again. Our, our my good friend Kyle Williard of Old Dominion Forge, he has a hammer in once a year. I didn't make it this year um, because we have family visiting, but typically I'll go there and I'll do a little blacksmith in there, putts around a little bit. But uh, when I worked at at Martin Station, I, and I worked at Martin Station from '04 to '08, I did a lot of blacksmithing while I was there. Okay. So. It's just not something I'm really pursuing a whole lot at the moment. Yeah, there's enough things to do right now. <laughs> yeah. So when you, you talked a little bit about um, the Virginia rifle back there being a good hunting rifle, do you get out and hunt quite a bit? And do you hunt with exclusively muzzleloaders? Or do you also get involved in the modern firearms as well? No, I, I, I do hunt not as much as I would like. And... Um, Deer hunting, I pretty much exclusively hunt with a flintlock, and that's mainly because the place I've got to hunt, the the owner says it's flintlock only. Okay. So, so I pretty much don't have any choice there. But, uh, but no, I would hunt with modern guns. Yeah. Uh, I grew up hunting with a thirty thirty. So. Oh wow. Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't bother me. I I prefer squirrel or dove or duck hunting to deer hunting. But. What do you like about those over deer? Just a little bit more exciting. 
Yeah. Yeah, where we hunt deer, it's I don't you really can't even call it hunting. There's so many deer, it's ridiculous. The <laughs> day we put up our deer stands, uh, we put mine up and then we went a couple hundred yards away and put up a friend's. And by the time we got back to my truck, there were seven or nine doe around it. Just around the truck. Around the truck, not even the stand. Yeah. The truck. Right. So, I mean, we're just inundated with deer. In Tennessee, we can kill three a day. Wow. You know, and our season comes in, and what, September ends the first Sunday in January? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's it literally hundreds of deer you could kill if you really wanted to. Man, that's like leisure hunting. That's just... Yeah. <laughs> it pretty much is. Um, but, you know, squirrel hunting, you get to move a little bit more. It's a little more... Uh, a little less sitting and watching and a little more moving, a little more action. And and duck hunting and dove hunting are are both have a little bit more action and they're a little more social. Yeah, definitely. And I enjoy that aspect of it. Yeah. Plus, if you've ever had duck cooked the right way, it's better than anything else. It's even better than backstrap or tenderloin on venison. Oh, yeah. yeah. A good duck is just is perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we will... Uh, wrap them in bacon and put a sliver of onion on them and then cook them in the oven. Ooh, yeah. that sounds good. You're They're really good, except for when <laughs> to a piece of steel shot. That pretty much sucks. Yeah, that'll... <laughs> Do you have any busted up teeth because of that? or No, but it, it will hurt for a few days if you're not paying attention. <laughs> I've only done it once, but it was enough. So just out of my own personal curiosity, what's the green awning over here? I think that that looks new to me from our last call. No, it, it was in there. That's actually a um, copy of George Washington's camp bed. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, that's the end of it, but it's a copy of... Um, oh, okay, I see it now. Made by Dick Toon. It actually folds up and goes into a box. It's a traveling camp bed. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So is it just a, in addition to your to your house, or is that something that you take out and to camps and things? No, I'm not taking it out. I've got another one that Dick made that's made out of three stools that hook together. It's another one that's that Washington had. I think Washington had three or four different campaign beds. Okay. Um, I would take it out. It's just a lot of work to set up. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's it looks good in here. I like it here in the office. Good yeah. Pants on and. My daughter loves it. She she thinks it's a princess bed with the cover, so she <laughs> lay on it every now and again. That's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know how much more I have uh, as far as you know, kind of prepared questions that we we tried to cover last time too. Um, this was just like last time, a lot of fun. I'm I'm really happy I was able to capture it too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me too. No, uh, you know, and let's do it again in the future. I mean, let's just, let's keep this dialogue open. Yeah. You know, I'm a big supporter of everything y'all are doing at the NMLRA, and I'm super impressed with everything you've done for the NMLRA. Well, thank you. Instagram and the YouTube and the podcast and et cetera. So. It's, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, I, I, a lot of people have heard this story before, but I grew up, you know, in muzzleloading and living history, especially at the NMLRA. But this has allowed me to get out and talk to so many more and different people than I ever have before. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of fun. Like I'm, it's it's been real stressful the past few weeks. You know, things are because we're operating on kind of a semi-open status now. We're able to have some weekend small events, but um, and trying to you know balance that the road time and and the home time because we still have to do so much online. 
but it's so much fun and it, it's so exciting like this weekend i'll be down at friendship again for um, the women's weekend event that we're putting on nice and then in july we have two or three weekends and then in august i think every weekend i'll be on the road for for different matches and shoots and things so it's it's an exciting time. I mean, even with COVID and a lot of the larger events being shut down, there's still so much to cover and so many people to go out and meet, um, you know, six feet apart, of course, but right, right. trying to keep everything safe. But um, it's a really exciting time for, for muzzleloading and living history, I think. Yeah, I think, you know, there's there's a lot of people that say that that we're an aging hobby or we're a shrinking hobby. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I think yeah. we're just more spread out than we've ever been. Yeah. 30 years ago, there were, what, three or four big events a year that everybody flocked to, and now there's something going on just about every weekend somewhere. Yeah, and there was a conversation just today on Facebook about people organizing their own, you know, kind of private rendezvous or camps where mm -hmm. it's it's just getting 15 or 20 people together just because they can. And, yeah. you know, if you look back, um, I've been archiving some original footage from the NMLRA and, and one of the things was talking about the early 1930s and before the NMLRA really started at least in this area that's what people did is they had small shoots and small camps in their own backyards or on a friend's property or something oh, yeah. and well, you're mean, starting to see that return and as, as in mass I guess is yeah what I think well that's how it was when I was getting into the hobby I mean that three of the events I did each year um, until around 2003 or so. One was at Buster Grubbs. It was always the weekend before Thanksgiving. And then there was always uh, a late winter, like around February. And then an October camp at um, Friends of Ours, Pat and Tom Taylor in Lexington, Georgia. Okay. And, and they had a little club called the Beaver Swamp Primitives. But, you know, it was really a private rendezvous. There would only be about 10 or 15 camps. And there was the same people that were there pretty much were the ones that were at Buster's. We were just a group of friends that we'd go to the Southeastern together in camp, or we would go to Pat and Tom's, we'd go to Buster's. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, no, that's great to see. Yeah. And we talked to in our first episode of the podcast, we talked with um, Jim Christie at Deer Creek products and mm -hmm. then um, Anita Vincenti from GoX. Mm -hmm. And it was really neat talking with them as, as they're both seeing the same thing and just about everybody else we've talked to as well is it's not it's not dying out or shrinking. It's just changing. It's evolving. And I that's something that I've held true to since I had that conversation with with Anita and Jim, because it's so easy to get caught up in, you know, the depressing tone of it shrinking or, you know, it's obviously sad when we lose friends and loved ones in the sport and in the hobby. Right. But it's not to say that. You know, just because they're gone, it's shrinking and it's, and it's going to be gone when we're gone. I think you're you're seeing some great, great growth right now. I mean, we're coming up on the 250th anniversary. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, not to get political, but there's a lot of things, especially with just COVID-19 right now, that are getting people energized about American history. There are people looking back and, and seeing what people did when you know, we went through the trying time of starting this country and they're looking back to those people on advice on how to deal with, you know, this pandemic. I mean, they, they went through infections and pandemics during the revolution and, and those were arguably some of the strongest men ever in this country. And there, yeah. there's a lot of people looking back at history saying, man, how can we get through this and, and come out the other side better? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, I, you know, I'm, 
I'm pretty excited about the future of the hobby because that I don't think it's shrinking as bad as people say. I mean, we we see it both on, on the Facebook groups. We see it on what the magazine selling newsstands and what our subscription rates, you know, our subscriber base stays at. So I, I think we're, we're going to be fine for a while. Yeah. I mean, just hearing that you guys are able to sustain a newsstand circulation is just wonderful. Mm-hmm. That's so many just general public that gets exposed to you guys and what you're doing. And then the hobby in general, I mean, mm-hmm. that's just, that's awesome. That just totally, I mean, I was, it's kind of getting to the end of the week here and I'm, I'm wearing out, but that's just energizing hearing that. I mean, that just gets, wants me to get up, makes me want to get up and go. <laughs> right. Well, I'm hoping that everything is still a go for September for the, for friendship. I'm really looking forward to coming and, and setting up the booth again and being there camping with friends. Well, maybe that can be the next time that we get together and sit down on the show here and maybe we can get together in person. Hey, that sounds good. Hey, by the way, you shot video of me shooting a, a, uh, a clay, my one and only shot there at friendship at the, the skeet range. When is oh, that yeah? here in the NMLRA video? When was it? Was that in September? Yeah, it was in September. It was like, uh, the Monday or Tuesday of the shoot. Okay, I'll have to I'll have to find that. Maybe I can find that for this video. Yeah, Jared <laughs> loaned me his gun and, and I shot one clay. So I'm, okay, great. Percent of everything I've shot at on the skeet range there. <laughs> well, good job on that. We'll have to yeah. I'll th- have to see if I can get you um, you know a little plaque or something at <laughs> for that. One for one. One for one. Yeah. Still, Indiana's on track. You know, to open up after July fourth. So I mean. Kind of, I'm a little nervous. the uh, The cases are going up, but um, and the we're working closely with the Ripley County Health officials, which is the county where the NMLRA headquarters is at, mm-hmm. on keeping everything, you know, keeping everything above board and keeping everybody as safe as we can. But um, we're right now everything's a go for for moving towards September. I know you had reached out to me, and I've actually heard it a few more times. There's some rumors going around about September. The, national championships being moved from September to October, but I have no idea where that's coming from. But Yeah, I, I didn't think it was true because I, I figured you were to let me know, but someone someone did ask me about it, so I figured I would ask you. Yeah, but right now everything's still a go. We're really excited. We've got some new things coming. We've got, we're trying to introduce some nightly or kind of evening, not necessarily fun matches, but just some fun shoots with some different scenarios that we're setting up for muzzleloading and and trying to do some more just kind of off-the-cuff fun stuff to keep people occupied. Oh, neat. neat. It's a little different than the the paper punching on the line. Right. Um, shoot, there was something I was going to ask you about, and I can't remember what it was now. Oh, I, I did want to mention that we were sponsoring an event at Fort Loudon in Pennsylvania, uh, an artisan show and a, and a living history event. It was originally scheduled to be this coming up weekend in, in June, Okay. but it's been pushed back. It's going to be the weekend of... August, I gotta look at my calendar. Yeah, I can't keep any track of anything. Uh, August 14th through the 16th at Fort Loudon in uh, in Fort Loudon, Pennsylvania. Okay. So if anybody wants to come check that out, uh, be a good time. You can see their ad in Muzzleloader and look up their website, which I don't recall off the top of my head. I'll look it up and make sure we've got it in the show notes and on the website too. I'll. Okay. Definitely put that on our Facebook page, too, and try to get that in front of some more people. That'd be great. Thank you. Yeah. And maybe, I don't, 
know what we've got going on uh, that weekend specifically, but boy, I, I was out at the, in Pennsylvania at the Horn Fair in the spring, and that was a lot of fun. I mean, it's a little bit of a haul for me. I think it was about yeah. 500 miles, but um, it was a lot of fun getting out there. Yeah, it's roughly going to be a 10-hour trip for me to get up there to Fort Loudon. Oh, jeez. That's yeah. a trek. <laughs> yeah, it is. Will that, will that be a, a fun fun trip, or will that be a work trip? No, I'll be sitting up there selling. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, Bryant White, the artist Bryant White, uh, mm -hmm. White Historic Art. Yeah, yeah. He's the one who's the artisan coordinator. He's kind of handling uh, the merchants and all that are setting up at the event. Bryant's a good friend, so I told him I would sponsor it, and we've been advertising for him and, and all that. So we're really excited about it. They've done a lot of things, um, a lot of restoration and stuff at Fort Loudon, so it should be really neat. That's great. I'm always happy to hear about projects like that coming to come to fruition. So, but that's got that coming up, and then September Friendship, and then October is going to be crazy. A lot of events have been pushed back to October. The raid at Martin Station is now going to be the second yeah. October, um, which stinks because Log Cabin Shop also has an event the second weekend in October that I'd like to go to. Yeah, but, I think it's the 12th and the 13th, isn't it? Yeah, that should be the yeah. same. Pardon me while I look at my phone. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it has always run into the same weekend as um, our Fort Robodeau event out in Pennsylvania, as well as Mississinawa 1812 here in Indiana. I mean, that's like a October is just jam packed. Yeah, and it's going to be worse this year. It's going to be really bad with everything yeah. kind of pushing back. Then the CLA show coming up will be the the 30th, 30 or the 29th through the 31st yeah. of October. Same. And that's because of construction. That's not because of COVID. Yeah, I'm I'm happy that they're because they're typically in August, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm hoping that um, after this kind of crazy year of October being slammed, that things kind of stretch back out. I mean, I'm excited for the CLA show this year because it'll especially be one of the few shows that we're able to get out and get to, hopefully. Right. So that'll that'll be a fun one for sure. Yeah, I, I'm on the board of directors of the CLA. Okay. As uh, far as I know, we have no intention of it, keeping it in October. It's going to revert back to August next year. Okay, you know, great. Everything is good with the construction. Yeah. Yeah, how's that been for you guys? I imagine that's been pretty stressful, shifting everything, and then COVID kind of stacked on top of it. Uh, it you know, I, I don't deal with that part of it. That's handled okay. by the show committee and by, the, by Gordon Marlowe and uh, Rachel Ramsbottom there at the CLA office. So I've not really had a lot to do with it except for updates they've sent out. But I do know that that we, we looked at moving locations so we could keep it the same weekend. But every place we looked that would facilitate a show our size with the amenities and all that we require, we would have had to change the dates anyway. So if we're going to change the dates, we might as well stay where everybody's used to it being. Yeah. Yeah, so, that location shift can be a real jarring thing mm -hmm. for a lot of people. Yeah, especially since it's just for one year. I mean, the Lexington Convention Center has treated us so well. Mm -hmm. And it's really nice having all the hotels and lots of restaurants within walking distance of the show. Yeah. So. That's a great show. Well, to kind of close things out, um, we like to give the guests a chance to share where people can find them online and uh, where they can find more information about what you guys do. Yeah. So you can find us on our website at muzzleloadermagazine.com and also americanpioneervideo.com. And from there, you can link to our social media accounts. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Uh, don't post to them very much because it's just me, but I try to <laughs> post to them semi-regularly. Um, 
but everything is there at Muzzleloader Magazine. And if you've got any questions, you can use the Contact Us link and shoot me a message, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. That's great. And we'll put links to everything down in the show notes, too, to make it easier for people to find. And, and that will all be included on the NMRA website with the transcript of the conversation, too, so people can go back and, and read things and find it there. Oh, great. Yeah. So right now I'm, I've got tomorrow and then I'll be on the road on Friday. I'm going to try to have this edited tomorrow if I, can, if I can wake up early enough and crank it out. And then um, I'll send it to you and you can go through and review it. And if there's anything you want tweaked or adjusted, you can get back with me. But um, if possible, I'd like to shoot for having this out next week sometime. Okay. Um, sure. I was I was doing it kind of weekly during the COVID crunch there, and now that things are starting to open up, I'm able to kind of shift back to to bi-weekly, which has been nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that'll be good. Kyle Williard's actually coming down. They're coming down tomorrow, so I'll let him watch it, and we'll make sure. Okay. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Is he putting you to work in the, <laughs> or is he just coming? <laughs> no, they're just coming down to to get out of the house. They've been, you know, in the house since March. Yeah. Um, no, just coming down to relax and have fun. Yeah. I think I saw somebody saying that it's now officially 100 days that people have been inside. And it's kind of, that's kind of a, a jarring number to yeah. think about. Oh, gosh. What? I'd have to look back at my calendar again. It was, it was early March because Avery, I would say March 16th was when we actually, everything kind of started because... Avery was supposed to go back to school March 16th for spring break, and they ended up extending it for another week. And then March 23rd, I had to start doing homeschooling. Oh, wow. Yeah, teaching is not my calling. Uh, yeah. How does that go for you with having the, the home business and then being a homeschool teacher? It, it went. It, we, we worked it out, but it was, it was some tough times. Thankfully, it's just kindergarten, so it was nothing really difficult. Okay, yeah. Yeah, if it was like advanced math, I would I'd just be done. I, I yeah. tried that once, and it's not my forte. Yeah, no, that was the math classes were the worst classes I took for computer science. Oh yeah, I can't imagine. <laughs> this week, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Jim Chambers Flintlocks Limited. Jim and his daughter Barbie have helped outfit muzzleloader builders for over fifty years now. Um, if you didn't know, Chambers are the original makers of the Siler locks. They have twenty-two historically accurate lock styles available. Not to mention their hand-tuned locks and hardware are legendary for their performance and reliability. If you're interested in building a Jim Chambers kit or picking out a rifle or pistol from Jim Chambers Limited, be sure to visit Flintlocks.com or call eight two eight six six seven eight three six one but we want to let you know that you can always check nmlra.org for up-to-date and official information as far as how the association is handling this pandemic with things opening up we've had a great opportunity to get some more videos out if you haven't checked out the nmlra youtube channel you can check out nmlra.org video this will take you to our official YouTube channel. We'd like to thank the membership of the NMLRA. Without them and their love of living history and muzzleloading, traditional craft as well, we couldn't do any of this that we do here. If you're interested in supporting what we do here or subscribing to Muzzle Blast, you can go to nmlra.org for more information. Your membership includes at least a yearly subscription to Muzzle Blast Magazine, but with that, you're also getting a digital archive of every Muzzle Blast Magazine going back to the late 1930s. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Please charge Wumba. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> but I don't uh, have one of those, by the way, we do it by hand. Oh well, it's you got to get with the times. 